Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer, and broadcaster. I had no plan to make a podcast tonight, but about 90 minutes ago, I saw on Facebook that David Crosby has died. I immediately heard in my mind a line he sang back in the 70s, which meant so much to me. Even if it is a cliche, in long time gone, the darkest hour is just before the dawn. I also am one of those people who bought the album Crosby, Stills & Nash, loved it when I fell in love for the first time. Some of its songs serenaded my first love affair. And also I went on to actually interview Crosby, Stills & Nash. As I say at the end of the, the following podcast, which I listened to in a rough draft, I haven't listened to the full thing tonight. I want to send it out there to people who may be feeling as I am tonight. As I say at the end, I had been told I would interview Graham Nash and David Crosby. I did my research, and at the last moment, as I walked in the door, I was told I could also interview Stephen Stills. But it was a joy, and it was hugely meaningful to me as a rock fan and a person who came of age in the 1970s to sit and chat with David Crosby. So for all of those who may be missing him tonight, who may be, as I say, feeling as I am, and reflecting on when we all first heard Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and all the times we heard them since the 1970s. The following is my uh, interview with David from, I think, around 1990, when they came here to Dublin to do a live show. If you want to check out the articles I wrote about them, you can check joejacksoninterviewer.com. Let's just try it. You ever use this one? It's okay. It is. You've seen these ones. I, I even bought a good fucking machine so it wouldn't go like that. It cost, it cost me, what, $400 in the States. All right. Have you seen a new? I hate them. What? Well, them Jap things. Them Japanese are so fucking good at it, right? They have... Just when you think you've got their newest gizmo... They bring out something else. I think they've got a micro-DAT now. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen this It's yet. a DAT. The cartridge is the size of a postage stamp. Oh, right. Literally. Yeah. Exactly the size of a postage stamp. And the whole machine is this big. Wow. It's a DAT player. Sounds perfect. Yeah, great stuff. I mean, handy for kind of test recording, wouldn't it be? Yeah, it's great for listening to your album on the, on the uh, airplane. Oh, right. you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay, this is the mag I'm with. Uh, this kind of stuff they do, it's pretty serious. Uh, lots of space they give me. This is an old friend of yours. I interviewed him in New York. So you can take that if you like. So. Who's that? Albert Ertigan? Armit! Omelette! Hurt me arm again. Okay. So we laughed about that for, for fucking years. Hurt me arm again. <laughs> That's the way you pronounce it. That's very Irish. Yeah. Hurt me arm again. <laughs> Okay, uh... Nash did that one. Steve was the one who called him omelette, and I'm the one who threatened to polish his head. He's a nice guy. I had a, had a good a time with him. Guy. Great, great. Great feel for the music still. There's, there's like, none like him, you know? Yeah. He's yeah, a guy cool. who came to music because he loved music, you know? The rest of these guys might as well be shoe salesmen. Well, he still does. He comes over here for an Irish band called An Emotional Fish, and he came over on his own with his little case, and he turned up in a little pub up around the street, just didn't tell anybody. He ends up standing in the in the place, watching them play because he was thinking of having them signed. 
He's like that. That's great. He loves music. Yeah. See, yeah. the rest of the guys who run the record companies are all uh, accountants and executives who would not know a song if it flew in their ear and died. Unless there was a dollar bill hanging out of its ass. Yeah. I mean, that, literally. And even then, right. you know, they might only recognize the dollar no, bill. No, they'd recognize the dollar and the bill. Ass. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks. They're, they're just blazingly stupid. Right. And they have right. not a clue. And they couldn't care less. It's right, how many pizzas right. did you move out of Dallas this week? Oh, I know, I know. The units, the units, units. Unit, how many units? Yeah. And I, I man, it's so distressing because I've spent my whole life, you know, on this other program, <laughs> you know, yeah, about music yeah, and yeah. and it being magic. It's magic. Oh, but David, now you started off with money. No. I mean, did I have money? You did. Personally? You had money when you started off, so maybe you didn't. Well, have to no, be as no. Concerned I personally had no money. No. <laughs> No, I had great good looks. Well, certainly no money. No, my family had some money. Um, okay. <laughs> and um, and my mother would bail me out if I, you know, wound up in Oshkosh in jail. Right. But, um, <laughs> okay, no, well, I, I have got specific questions about that. What I've tried to do in this set of questions is is not to make it as drug-focused as I'm sure you must be pissed off talking about. I don't mind. I'd like, no, I'd like to shift the focus as much back to the music. Because this is a music magazine. Anything. There All are right. no rules, so man. You can okay. ask me any yeah, game. but I, I, just for myself, I've just finished reading your book this week, and I've probably had the history up to here, you know, especially the description of the drugs. And also, on a personal level, my father died as a result of drugs. So it kind of hauled me in emotionally to parts I didn't really want to be reading about, but I had to do that. So I'll pull back myself with questions, okay? Thanks for reading it, man. So, no, it was, uh, it was this friend of mine had it, and he just, uh, he read it. What do you think of it? Came out. I tell you, emotionally I feel wiped out by it, to tell the truth. I just feel, I only finished it this morning, I've been reading it, and I feel just... Well, then I did a good job. My guts have been, you know, because it ain't um, just your life. Well, you, you know, know? The, the thing is, if it had been a surface job, it wouldn't have affected you. No way. No, so, no, no. Well, I, I also, I like know, the structure. That makes me feel great. I like the structure, because I've been asked to write Richard Harris's biography, and I'm thinking of ways to structure the book. And I like the different voices. I like that your was, view. That was, I think, one of the best by. things we did, man. You know, instead of having this this blurred yeah, line where yeah. you don't know what's the person that you're trying to read about talking and what's the ghost voice talking and what's the interviewer right, talking, right. you know exactly. Sure. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And between the different voices, you get a picture. Sure, you know, yeah, like you, yeah, it, the yeah. thing about the intervention. You know, you get five different stories of what sure, happened that night, yeah. and in between them, you get a Truth. glimpse of. Truth, yeah, yeah, really yeah. No, I totally agree with that. So I've read a lot of uh, bios, rock star, movie star, that too kind of... Too self-serving, man, and too yeah. blurred. Yeah, 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 too yeah. shapeless. Too, I invented electricity, and then I discovered America, <laughs> and then I wanted to, you know, it's like... Well, that's only Elvis's book, isn't it? <laughs> okay, just give me a, the hidden the music guy from it. Now, I'm going to be throwing things at you that obviously come from the book, but you have to remember that all these people will not have read that. So they're like 16 to 35 is our age group. So what was uh, interesting to find was that the hit to in music for you first came through Josh White, The Weavers, and the epiphany came through uh, the classical moment, which you then later translated into orchestrated and voices and all that. Wasn't that it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my mother played music around our house when I was so young, you know, that I, I was like completely impressionable. Right. She played tons of classical music. In, in, in my youth, which was the 40s, right? right? Uh, there was a, a Sunday classic concert right. every right. Sunday. They would, right. you, know, you know, the Philharmonic. One hour, this yeah. famous hour that went yeah, right across. Yeah, right. Well, that was always on yeah. in our house. Right. She right. played classical music when you had to switch 78s. 
All right. You know, when they when it, when a concert when a concerto was this thick. Yeah, you know? yeah, right. What seventy eight? <laughs> yeah, right. Points. Yeah, and she was like, <laughs> go to the drop. Up, though. <laughs> you know, uh, she was she was really wonderful. So no wonder you have a fragmented worldview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how you heard Beethoven's choral yeah. symphony. You think that's stuff? Oh, luxury, luxury. We had to eat gravel to get our music. <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. Okay, I, but, that, but that moment in terms of, uh, you said it later led to a song like The uh, Last Great Whale, wasn't wasn't that it about the... the critical the, mass, yeah. The, the, mess, the mass of sounds and the blending voices. There's no the question that affected right. me, man. And you can hear, you listen to Critical Mass, and, and it is plain that Bach, you know, particularly okay. probably the Brandenburgs, you know, right. came and sat right. on my head, right. you know. And, right. and, you know, what better? You know, right, and right, Debussy right. and Grieg and Sibelius right, and right. you know, but that blending with the folk influences of Josh White and the moments of truth mm-hmm. you you perceived in the, and the in Weavers, that music. And, yeah. and and oddly enough, a South African couple called uh, Mirai and Miranda. I hadn't heard of those. I saw the names. Yeah, haven't they were those. they sang songs about then. You know, right. Um, and then Josh White. You know, I mean, I the first time that I realized what Strange Fruit was about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, oh my. This is like really heavy stuff. Social realism in your face. Yeah, and oh boy. You know, because I had only heard, you know, sure. Kumbaya. You know, it's like, a, it's a very nice party, you know, whoopee. And then here's this guy talking about people hanging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, I went, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah. You know, that really, and Odetta yeah. was another yeah, early, yeah, you know, yeah, hit yeah. you in the face with like real brilliance, you know. That's that, that. That is the kind of social realism that runs through your songs. Too, the later would kind of in the best of them, yeah. the song, in the best of your songs. Not all of them, but sometimes no, yeah, we got there. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, I mean, it's not the easiest point to get to. Strange fruit comes along what once every. I think Ohio. Right. Was our, right, Was right. like a high point. You know, I know I didn't write it. On but that level. On that level, yeah. Right. What about also? Because I talked to Graham about how. Uh, the jazz influences and your 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 strange your strange view of not strange but jazz based view of harmonics and structures. How he who had been listening to Charlie Mingus and stuff like that, and your love of the Everlys, obviously with the harmonies. That but the jazz thing very much. I don't think a lot of rock fans would realize that at the time, or even realize it now, maybe. Well, again, it was my family. My brother was a big jazz fan and wanted to be a jazz drummer. He was like he thought Shelley Man <clears throat> was like major hero of his. So in the late 50s, he was playing Brubeck, Chet Baker, Stan Getz, right. uh, early Coltrane, uh, <clears throat> uh, J.J. Johnson, uh, right. Uh, right. you know, uh, all those guys, you know. Right, right. Uh, and um, Andre Previn back when he was playing oh, yeah, jazz, right. you know, yeah. Ray Vinegar, yeah. Ray Brown, yeah. you yeah. know, early jazz players. And, right. and, and that music, particularly uh, Brubeck, right. Right. just, you know, stuck in my head. And later on, when Coltrane emerged out of that as, like, quintessential guy, you know, I was listening to uh, McCoy Tyner in there. Now, Coltrane would, would not stick to one mode. Right. He was too explosive. Sure. Okay, so yeah. McCoy Tyner had to be these open-ended, you know, 7th, 9th, 13th, yeah. 51st, demented 7th, you know, crushed 9th, you know, kind of chords. And that stuff just really smacked me in the forebrain, man. I said, oh my God. But it wasn't a conscious study of, it was more to osmosis, wasn't it? It was just like, it was just, I've never studied music, man. Music has reached out and grabbed me by the throat. Right, right, right. And that's what did it. 
Right, but it's a kind of, it could be seen almost, Bach and Mingus would almost be seen as polar opposites, but you kind of pulled them together. I don't think they're opposite at all. You know? And I'm sure that Charlie didn't think so either. Right, Bach, yeah, maybe not Bach, you know, but some of the more kind of classical, as in classical music. You know, as the, in not Debussy, you know what I mean? Not the kind of form. I'll tell you something, the jazz guys that I've talked to all listen to classical music. Yeah, all. yeah, yeah. Without exception. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, got to sit there in front of Coltrane and listen to him play, but I never got to talk to him. But if you, if I had gotten to talk to him I'm bet you money he listened to classical music right. at, at some yeah, point or another because yeah, yeah. it's too transcultural it's too powerful it it, it sparks across that gap right. you know I think music. for readers though we'd almost want I'd want to get across that classical music doesn't necessarily mean classical music five years ago like there's new classical music of this century which is atonal which oh, is man. formless which is a, you know, my favorite that. my my two favorite pieces are Copeland's Appalachian Spring and uh, Vaughn Williams' uh, theme for Thomas oh, right. Tallis. Right, right, right. Those are my two favorites of but, all. But what I think is great about this, there was a point where it would not have been cool to talk about these things to rock journalists or in rock magazines. Sure, wouldn't. Well, I've never been cool. No, but, that, but that's what's great. No, because they, it was it was supposed to be kind of the three chords: the blues, uh, roots, folk, bass, rock yeah. and roll. Well, I for some reason you man, missed I, that, I, I fell outside that. I never yeah. was an Elvis fan, you know. After not after the first couple of records, right, you right, know, right. Uh, I I never liked much of the the doo wop, you know, kind of thing. Even that, right? And right. Uh, but you like the Everleys? I love the Everleys. The sound of the voices makes the sound it. of the voices nailed me to the floor. Dream, right. Right. and I went right. yes, thank you, yes. You know. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> did you? We, we told we joked earlier about you coming from a, a rev, relatively privileged background. I did. Yeah. My my father was a Film. uh, a filmmaker. You know, uh, uh, a, a cinematographer, and uh, we were. I would guess you call it upper middle class. You know, right, in, right. in L.A. You know. And, they, they say when you look, they say if you're dividing up the difference, I was just talking to Graham about his working class background, and he said that the, the opposites there helped you and he click immensely on all those levels, uh, chemically, musically, class-wise and that. All of when, when you read of uh, someone from uh, a moneyed background, it suggested that you or they would have a kind of um, f look on the world as a plaything, that almost pleasure is your birthright. Elitist kind of approach, yeah. No, not, I don't only mean elitist, I mean like because it can lead into drugs and your other oh. excesses, yeah. that you almost look on the world as this is there to give me pleasure. You know what I mean? Is that any... Did you feel there that was your There might be some of that, because I've always, you know, I always have wanted to have a lot of fun. You know, right. I've never had... I've never struggled, you know, right. uh, and I think it, it did damage me in a certain way. I'll tell you exactly. Um, when I left home, I, I did, you know, experience being completely flat broke and okay. having to, you know, All like right. work to get five bucks in a day was like a big day. That was right. like working basket houses in New York, right. you know, where you'd right. pass the basket after you sang and oh, whatever right. you got, yeah. that was yeah. how much you yeah. ate that day. Yeah. Okay. You know? Well, I, that helped okay. a lot. Right. So did hitchhiking, you know, from New York to Toronto. So did like being out in the world and living in, you know, rough circumstances, having to support myself. That was all very good for me. Right. But the fact is that I won very early, you know. Uh, even those periods of time, I was having a great time, right, you know, right, and right. very shortly thereafter, I won in the birds, you know, yeah, I, yeah, the brass yeah. ring dropped right yeah. squarely over my nose, and and, and <clears throat> then bigger than hell, I won bigger than that, sure, you know, sure, in CSN sure. and CSNY, and so I never had long, protracted, you know, soul-building kind of, of struggle. Well, you had that later, and we can talk about that. Had it that. later on, yeah, but... What it did was it gave me a, uh, 
maybe not, you know, maybe too too easy a, a time, you know. Right, right, right. In terms of structuring the soil or getting some kind of yeah. substance down there. I, I think, you know, I don't feel that I really came to that until until I was in prison. Right, yeah, yeah. That's what right. I felt from the book anyway. That is the sense I got. I, I think it's probably right, true. Right, right, right. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if that's bad, good, well, or indifferent, but I think it's probably true. Yeah, yeah, but you also, I mean, uh, you, you, you were looking for, uh, I mean, I know you were drinking cough syrup at 16. Yeah. Isn't this one of the kicks you got? And rum and coke. Was yeah, I always coke? wanted to be loaded, always. All my even life. at 16, was that, that was earlier than that, that even. Well, with a lot of kids here, a lot of the kids reading this mag would be doing the cough syrup too right now. You know I always I mean? wanted to be loaded uh, from the big, very first time I could remember it. I ate for the kick. For fun. something I don't know, man. Right. You know, some of us are tilted that way. Right. I, right. I can't tell right. you. I can't explain it to you. I right. know that it was a, a natural thing for me to want to be wacko, right. and I, and I I was every way I could be from from the first minute I could work it out. Right. What about wacko? One thing I did get from the book was a sense of sexual reserve in terms of writing about it. Like even when you talk about the first time with a woman, you don't even use the word sex, and you link it immediately to your mother maybe knowing. Is there a kind of Puritan no. shadow hanging there? No, or you just I, I being... was. I was, if anything, the most flagrant. Well, that's that out the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I man, I, I, my thing used to be to get into you know like groups of people, right. and you know move hither and thither and yon. But and even from sixteen onwards, were you that liberated, that uninhibited? Yeah, from the beginning. A sexually, tremendously uninhibited person. Uh, I have whatever it is, I've done it. And yeah. and uh, and usually enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah. And without the baggage of guilt that a lot of Irish people would feel in that kind of stuff. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was out there, right yeah. out there. And but then as I got uh, more stoned, I got more kinky. Right. And right. Uh, and until I was like, quite kinkified uh, towards the end there. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, but even in the more healthier periods earlier on, I I was you know my favorite thing you know triad was. You know, yeah, to, was oh, three I, people. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah, I loved three people. I thought three people. Did was, it matter about their sex? I turned out not. No, right. didn't, it didn't. Uh, I started out, you know, of course, naturally thinking, you know, two girls, one guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you yeah. can do this, and we can do yeah. this, and I'll yeah. just sit here, and it'll be great. And you know, I was terribly self-serving. Uh, terribly, that's what it sounds like. Had <laughs> no idea about you know making love and stuff. Uh, it was all very, you know, right. I was a very greedy for pleasure kid. Right. Right. But it turned out uh, later on, you know, that it didn't really, it could go either way, and it wasn't didn't really matter. that big a thing. You know, it was kind of a, a, a good adventure either way. But there's one of your female lovers, I can't remember, maybe her name is Shelley, if I'm getting the name right, talk about how she felt excluded from your threesomes, that you can, you have one shot, and if she doesn't get it, she's a woman left dissatisfied. That's, that's always you know been I mean? true, man. That's always yeah, been true. Yeah. The fantasy... The, the harem fantasy is pure fantasy. Any healthy woman can fuck any five guys into the ground. And right. no guy, yeah, no guy, <laughs> no man that I know in the world can, can really take care of even one woman. You know, let's tell the truth here. All right, okay, we're into that's, honesty. That's the truth, you know. That's the real truth. Right, the rest is right, fantasy, right, sheer right, fantasy. Right, but of course, right. I lived in a lot of fantasy. Right, right, right. But they, they, uh, but so would men have felt excluded? Would they have felt? I mean, would you have been the one getting most of the pleasure? Would anybody come back to you later and say, "David, that was selfish. That was did nothing for me," or was it all? Or did you give a fuck what it meant to them 
at that point. See, I, I probably did, and I probably tried to be such an, uh, you know, a smiley little guy that that everybody you know would forgive me for my, for my greed. <laughs> well, that always worked, didn't it? Yeah, it always worked pretty well. <laughs> you know. Do you when uh, when it's would um, Graham have been holding to those threesomes? No, Graham's a pretty private guy about that. Is he? Yeah. Because, so Stephen. But Graham talks about being in love with you, and that could be read as sexually. You know, and talks about you were nope. all in love at the time. We, making we, there's no question we love each other, but it's it's been as human beings, you know. Right, right. He's an exemplary human being. Right. And I've learned a tremendous amount from him. Right, you know, right, right. He's, he's got strength and, and, and honesty and givingness and an adventuresomeness of spirit that I find most admirable. Right, and I right. have sought to emulate him sure. in a lot of ways. Right, I, right, I, right. You do write in the book, and also James Taylor talked to me about it, about how people who get hooked on a, on a drug turn the sexual hit into a substitute, and the person becomes only that. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't, isn't that part of the syndrome that people who use it when they glorify the use of don't always talk about? That the recipient of your, of your whatever becomes just another kind of hit for the drug you don't have or you're using with it. There's that too. And also you become obsessed with it and on a very low level. Sex. Yeah. Obses no, obsessed with the hit probably more than sex. I'm obsessed with the hit and obsessed with sex. Both. Right. Cocaine does that in particular. Part of the cocaine psychosis is to become um, very obsessed with sex and very... Uh, you look at All Freud's right. writings and you can tell he was a coke addict. Right, um, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, you become obsessed with it, and you also get a little kinky, and depending on you know where you start, you get maybe a lot kinky. Right. But you get, uh, you know, obsessed with it, and when you when cocaine turns to freebase, your yeah. consciousness just gets lower and lower and lower and more insisted and more compressed until the world is about as big as the light spilling out of the lamp in front of you. Right. You know, it's right. on the little glassware pieces, and on maybe right. whoever's next right. to you, uh, right. or right. between your legs, or well, the lights between her, his legs, then what you're receiving from it, the only light. Yeah. But doesn't it also leave you sexually incapacitated? Yeah. Can't it? Yeah. Which is the other side that people don't often talk yeah, about. Yeah. It leaves you unable to do fucking anything yeah. except take it. Noodle City. And heroin too, which I was like, I've been a stone junkie for years, you know, and uh, right. and heroin doesn't let you come. Right, right. You right, cannot. Right. You, I don't care. Bridger right. Bardot and Jane Fonda together could not get you to come. <laughs> you know, with one another and you watching. Wake involved, <laughs> dedicated work. Brilliant work. No, still wouldn't work. No, Noodle City. Right, right, right. I mean, right. even not necessarily Noodle City with with heroin, but you could not come. So it's a fantasy life. It's fantasy so how, life. tell me how you, who, when you did go into uh, jail, how you dealt with that sex drive and and the shift from being in trouble for stealing a rasher to all the excesses you had before a piece of bacon, as you guys call it. Well, no, but that was a hell of a shift. Oh, your sex obviously had to stop because you, or, or you say you didn't. Yeah, go it goes away. Um, normal sex drive w wasn't there, and the obsessive sex drive from the cocaine wasn't there. Sex pretty much went away in jail. Um, Where'd it go, though? I mean, because it doesn't for other people, and you said there were lots of homosexual scenes. So, well, there not, are, not, no, only with the old guys. Only with the guys right. that are there for more than ten years. All the right. people that are there for short times don't do that. The, the homosexual stuff in prisons is grossly overrated. What All they right. look at is 
the the long termers those people do get into it right. you know if you go to a right. place where right. everybody is there for 20 years or more yes there's plenty of it the same with drugs but for new fish no sex no drugs right. because a uh, you're not there long enough to be desperate and b you're not there long enough for them to trust you that's why you can't get any drugs if you're a new fish all right yeah, they, yeah, they will yeah, not tell yeah, you where the yeah. where the fucking bathroom is, let alone where the drugs right, are. Right, right, you know, right, right. Until they've right. seen you for a couple of years. Right, right, right. So you actually just end up jerking off. Everybody jerks off. Yeah. For sexual release. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I know, uh, but you did also, you, you resisted. I noticed we're sticking to the music, though. Yeah, I'm moving back to it now. That's <laughs> not very interesting to me there. <laughs> well, no, it's, there's, there's a logical link to it. You know, the, the, uh, well, I mean, things like, even you want to go back to the birds, like Eight Miles High and all the history books are seen as the first psychedelic rock song. I mean, how much of the music was shaped by the fragmented worldview, true drugs, true whatever? What? I wonder, though, Sweet how much, I wonder what I would have written on the music. I think it was pretty good because it blew us loose from the 50s. Right, you know, Pat right, Boone, White Box, right, bad right, idea. Right. But <clears throat> the, the effect later on, I think, was, was probably detrimental. You know, I think I would have written Wooden Ships and Guinevere and those things, and maybe a lot more. When I look, when I look at Critical Mass, I think God, you know, if you've been actually willing to work at it, right, you could have written right. some stuff right. that right. that would have, you know, right. gone further. So would any of that be? I want to get the hit from the song, and I want to get it. As, no, I don't mean a hit record. I mean the the charge as quickly as possible. So you kind of push it to its conclusion when it really should have evolved in a different way. I've done that as a writer for a really right. a long time. I'm only right. now just starting to really work on songs over a long period of time. I've been so eager to finish a song and show it to you and get the approval. Sure, you know, right, right, say, right. Look, look, look what right. I've got, you know, um, that I too often just go with the first hit, right. you know, instead right. of sitting there and saying, well, but wait a minute, you know, this is really an incomplete idea, or this is, you know, pretty arcane, or this is not really accessible at all. How do I, you know, make it work way better? Right, right. Did, I'm, did, I'm starting to do that now. Right, right. Is that because you're clean now and you have to be clean? Or are you? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's because I have a much longer attention span now. Right, right. And because I'm an older guy and I've got, you know, more concentration on it, and because, hopefully, I'm getting smarter. Right, right, right. Yeah. Did the Coltrane influence come through on Eight Miles High, and would that have come from you? That was direct, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I played um, the particular specific song is Africa Brass. Yeah. And I played it, uh, uh, I was taken by it, just smitten by that song in particular. Right, right, right. And I, I played it, uh, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, and I played it in McGuinn's ear uh, endlessly. I right, did the same right. thing to him with that that I had done to him before with uh, Ravi Shankar. Right. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I turned a lot of people into Ravi Shankar. I, I, somebody just played it to me, and I went, "Oh man, that's beautiful." Right. I think I might have been the one who played it to George. I think. It, well, I mean, that's almost accepted as fact, isn't it, that the beat was being influenced by the, by the birds or by you at that point? I don't know. It might have been. I think two, probably there. two or three people played it for him, but that, that particular one nailed me, and uh, the other one that I turned a lot of people on to was the Bulgarian folk music, right, right, which was, right. the, you know, the, the first of, of those Bulgarian national folk choir and ensemble records, right, right. which was a, just a total stunner, man. Right, right. That one, I turned Nash onto that, and... and we both just were like incredibly affected by it. 
So is it wrong then when you see to have it just reduced to eight miles high being the first drug song? They should also look on the jazz influence and the art and the, the other yeah, reflections. You know what I mean? Fragmented. It was also a real good. Doctor, you're focused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give us another five minutes. Can we have okay. another five minutes here? Give us five. Because we're right in the middle, and and I'll get I'll I'll get it done. I promise. Okay. What did you get? What have you got? What have you got? You get Francis. Oh, yeah, we got that. I got there's a new last time. Go ahead. There's also a new Martin Cruz Smith, man. The guy yes, I got that. You got it? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. I'll just sit here and read. <clears throat> Eavesdropping. Um, there, there also, the other thing about that song was the effect uh, of the three of us writing it together, me and, and Gene and, and Roger. You know, right. that's one of the things that made it a good song. You know, because Gene was kind of uh, clunky and Roger was, you know, off in another direction, I was off in a third right. direction, and the combination was what made it a good song, right, I right. think. Uh, and how, that, that kind of, uh, the one thing we did talk about was the, um, you can become self-serving through the use of drugs and be blind to political realities out, so I mean, we were just talking about sexuality, but political realities when, like, for what it's worth was written, I mean, there was also that element of you didn't turn away and you had your tirades on stage against who killed Kennedy and what are the names and all that stuff. I mean, you, you weren't that closed off from what was happening. So Not then. Oh, later. Later on, I got closed off. Back then, you know, you know, there's a difference in different drugs and there's a difference in the in the length of time you do them. Uh, when, you, when you are doing essentially just smoking pot and taking psychedelics, you're still pretty alive. Right. You know, they may not be the best things in the world for you, but you, you're not really shut down yet. Right, right. Uh, you, you, pot can make you pretty lazy, right. but you're not really shut down as a human, I don't think. Um, cocaine and heroin, later on, heavy use, you can you, you could graph my awareness of the world, you know, uh, in, in a reverse curve oh, right, that right. matched the increased curve of the, right, the dope. Right. But you did. You were responding the night Robert Kennedy was killed. You 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 were inspired right out of that, weren't you? Oh yeah. 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 We all we all were all the way down the line. We were always like, we felt that there was we had every right to respond to the world just the same as everybody else did, and if we had better tools to do it with, then tough. Who do you finally think killed JFK? Well, it's a good question. Um, my personal one? Yeah. I think uh, <clears throat> that uh, guys that were uh, independent contract operators that worked uh, jobs, the kind of jobs that the CIA would not yeah. do for themselves, right. you know, uh, right. uh, paramilitary guys working out of New Orleans, uh, uh, did the actual work and were killed soon thereafter. I think it was paid for by H.L. Uh, Hunt. I think it was uh, orchestrated by, you know, professionals right. who show, who I don't think we'll ever know exactly who right. they were. But you got to understand, this is a guy who didn't send the air cover in, yeah. in at Bay of Pigs. So right. that entire community would have done it for free. You don't have to pay him. Sure. All those people, right. all right. the CIA guys and all the right. lower level guys yeah. that w did CIA dirty jobs would have done it for free. Right. Okay. Okay. They all, they all their buddies died on that beach, okay. So, and I, I think you know he had made plenty of enemies. He didn't have to make the usual kind of deals that any president did. He had his own bucks. Right. Papa Joe gave him the bucks, you know. And so he was very dangerous to the established people who have been running 
the country and the world, you know, for for since I can remember, the people who have all the money. So how much of a how much of a turning point was that for people? I mean, the people because we were saying earlier that you can turn into yourself. That a lot of young people at the point saw everything fragmented when John F. Kennedy was killed, followed by Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King, and everybody just gave up hope on a particular vision. Of the I don't world think we gave up hope then. It takes a long time to give up hope. It did blow us loose from society. We ceased yeah. to believe that we could work yeah. within the system. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's taken until now for us to get back to wanting to work in the system. Now we, you know, we, we're staunch constitutionalists and people who go out and try to get people to vote. You know, we have a, like a voting registration booth at every gig we ever do. Right. Um, some of us work for candidates even, you know, um, and we work for a lot of, you know, causes. Uh, we try to work within the system now, but back then we we pretty much felt that we'd been excluded from the system, that the system had failed us. Right, okay. Yeah, I think I should talk to Stephen there. I used to work in a factory as a kid, as sheet metal worker. At least you get okay. some stuff, at least we I know, be no, careful. I'm trying to get different views, and I don't want the same people, you're all talking on the same things, obviously, you know well, what I mean? The best, the, thing about, the best thing about us is that we actually will tell you something. Okay. We're not very careful. I, nobody told me I had Stephen, which really pisses me off. You know, I wasn't told until I walked in the door, which, as you can see, I've done my work on you, like reading the book and all that stuff. So I thought we were going to have a good 30 minutes on broke. Got a flaming question you want to ask, the last one? Uh, uh, yeah, for, for... Well, there was quite a few there. Uh, yeah, could you just... Yes, there is, because we do have... There is a question on drugs, and then I'll end with music. We have a lot of people. We have a huge drugs problem right here in this city where we're talking. A lot of young people, because there's a million people unemployed, which is a third of the population, are turning to glue, any fucking thing they can use. Could you give me one moment that you really think now, you know, that could slap them in the faces and say, this is maybe where it could end up? Was there a moment that really hurt most, made you realize you degraded yourself or other people to a point beyond belief, or no? A couple of things. <clears throat> One, I, I wound up not being able to write, which is certainly the, okay. the main gift that I was given. Right. But it isn't just yourself you hurt. Right. You hurt all the people around you. Right. You know? Right. Um, well, you hurt Graham, obviously. Badly. My daughter, yeah. too. Right. right. Uh, my parents both died before I got straight, you know. So they didn't know that They didn't get, you know, to know that their kid had come out of the... Were they in distress died, you know? because of it? Sure. Right. So deep. they died in deep distress? Deep. You know, and, and that, that hurts. Right. My kid had to go to school the next day after seeing, you know, after everybody in the entire school, you know, had seen uh, at the checkout stand in the market how rocker David Crosby destroyed his life with cocaine, you know. Right, right, and right, That's not right, fun. Right, right, okay. But the main thing is, man, is, is that it, as a human being, it's just a blind alley. You know, there isn't, there, it leads absolutely nowhere and it solves absolutely nothing. Most people do it for anesthesia. When they're in, in a tough situation like right, this, right. they try to use it as an anesthetic. Well, it doesn't work. You're only just putting it away at arm's length. It doesn't go away. You did, didn't you? Yeah, I did it. And I mean, it when, and when, when, there's a point in your book which I think is quite telling you when Christine died, and you said the only thing that could dull the edges of the pain was heroin. Isn't that true? Yeah, but it didn't go away. Sure, sure. 20 years later, I was watching Fisher King, and the... He picks up the, the cup, the talisman, and says, oh, can I miss her now? Oh, wow. And I burst into tears so hard, man, I thought they were going to have to take me to the hospital. Right, the pain was right, still there. Right, it had right, never right. gone away. I'd never dealt with it. Right. I'd never grieved for her. I had never actually faced what had happened. And 
and gone through it. I'd taken drugs instead. Well, drugs sure. don't sure. fucking work. Right, right. You know, so, I wrote a really good song about it. It's my that's my best new song. What is it? It's on in the act. Will I hear it tonight? Or what? Yeah, you'll hear it tonight. What's it called? I don't have a title for it okay. yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask because we had we cut the uh, to to the last twelve compass home or through the haze. I mean, uh, before you were saying one of these really says it for you, and you use compass to end the book. I mean, have you reached something else now that you think kind of crystallizes your talent or has brought it to its not one point? particular thing? No. no. You can't tag it to one thing. It's just too. I'm too multifaceted. What is it too? Is it important to you too, though, that you're not just remembered for? I mean, one thing uh, that that this new, the new material you're doing now. Do you ever feel that a lot of people might feel you that the group is a, a redundant force musically, and too many people focus on the old material and won't open the ears and eyes to? It's a natural. Stuff? It's a natural problem. You're always. They always want you to compete with your the thing that they heard that they loved. You know. We try not to. We Particularly bad is they want us to compete with what we look like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know that was really hard. Don't let the past remind us of what we are not now. Yeah. Right. But we do. We do, you know, we still write stuff we like, you know. Right, right, right. And, uh, and as long as, as we can, you know, like move people with it face to face, then we still feel like we're valid. You know, when that well, stops, then we'll have a problem. Well, you see, I think my perspective and European perspective is slightly different because in America you do have the broad base of radio stations that will play the new stuff. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to that very rough cut of my chat with David Crosby back in 1990. As I said earlier, if you want to check, if you want to check out some of my articles, check. That's, that's four times I've used the word check. I don't normally repeat myself like that, but this is totally winged, totally off the cuff, and totally from the heart. Check out Stomachs of Five, JoeJacksonInterviewer.com. Thanks for listening.